because we see imperfectly in mortality. Not everything is going to make sense right now. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Welcome back, everyone. This is the To Whom Shall We Go podcast. This is your host, Ryan Sorensen. Today, we're pleased to have Steve Densley joining us. Thanks so much for being on, Steve. Thanks for inviting me, Ryan. So to get started, could you give us a little bit about your background and just tell us about yourself? Well, sure. Um, I'm an attorney, and uh, in my spare time, I'm also the executive vice president of the Interpreter Foundation. And I guess it'd be interesting for your listeners to know that Earlier than that, I was the vice president of FAIR, uh, formerly known as FAIR Mormon, formerly known as FAIR. And so uh, I, I also uh, was a podcast host for FAIR. Um, I, uh, I'll, we do podcasting and interpreter as well. We have a, a weekly radio show that um, goes out over the radio. We repost it as a podcast on the Interpreter Foundation's website. Um, so, you know, I've been, uh, involved in these kinds of activities for a number of years. Um, I, well, I don't know how long it's been, uh, well, at least 15 or so, but I, I suppose I've been interested in, you know, church doctrine, history, those kinds of issues, uh, probably, you know, in, in my, starting my teenage years, I suppose I, I really started to get interested in, um, researching church history and doctrine and policies, and uh, kind of uh, kind of led to where I'm at today. Awesome. Well, thanks for giving us that background. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, I, I feel like a concept about faith crisis that I think we don't talk enough about is the the mental health aspect of it. And I remember just a few months ago. I was on YouTube, just kind of looking at some of the different resources that FAIR has. And I came across the talk that you gave in 2018 um, titled Barriers to Belief, Mental Distress and Disaffection from the Church. And I thought it was just a really helpful perspective that I don't think we've heard enough about. So once I heard that, I've like, I was like, I need to get Steve on now. That was just a really great talk that I think would really benefit our different listeners on um, so to tell us a little bit about that, could you maybe tell you tell us what prompted you to give a talk on that topic? Yeah, well, I'm glad you found it. Um, it it's it's a subject that is uh, not discussed very much. I, I think that uh, the the church has started more and more to provide resources for people who are experiencing mental illness. Uh, we 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 chose to use the term mental distress. In our presentation, I, I presented at the fair conference with Garrett Giles, who's a PhD psychologist uh, practices in Pleasant Grove. Um, we chose to use the term mental distress simply because we felt like that that was a more broad term for uh, all kinds of different uh, struggles that people may have emotionally so that 
we, we were acknowledging that people may struggle with these things, even if they are not diagnosed with mental illness, uh, that there are things that all of us struggle with in terms of our uh, emotional health and well-being. And uh, so, so that, that's the broad context is that um, there are uh, these, kinds of, these, these kinds of issues that people struggle with. The church historically uh, has, I, I, going back a number of years, I think that they may have even suggested that, uh, or, or at least some church leaders, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say there's a, you know, a policy or anything in that regard, but uh, maybe su- suggesting that psychologists uh, were not helpful or maybe even harmful. Um, that you, you may have a bishop or, uh, you know, a, a well-meaning um, you know, home teacher that uh, would suggest that the, the answer to mental distress is to pray more, to read your scriptures, uh, repent, um, and uh, that, you know, that the reason that you're experiencing this, these kinds of issues, um, you know, maybe is related to a lack of faith or, or that, uh, if you go and see a psychologist, the psychologist will dissuade you from religious belief and, and participation. Um, now, it's certainly true that you have to be careful with um, mental health therapists. Uh, there, there definitely are psychologists that um, are, are negative toward religion, um, and uh, they can, um, you know, encourage you toward beliefs that would be um, antithetical to the church. Uh, now, psychologists will largely not deny this because it goes against their code of ethics. Um, you know, they're not supposed to discourage people from, um, you know, engaging in their personal uh, religious beliefs, but they do. There, there are, I shouldn't say they generally, a, a, a good number um, are uh, hostile toward religion. Um, and I think that uh, some of the things that we'll talk about today maybe, you know, help illustrate why that might be, um, you know, there's uh, kind of a tendency to encourage people to, um, well, find their own truth is one of the, one of the phrases that you hear a lot these days, you know, follow your bliss, um, you know, uh, be who you are, uh, and, you know, be true to yourself, um, and, you know, and so in encouraging people uh, along those lines, we may tend to suggest to people that they should not be religious, um, you know, that if they're experiencing mental distress by virtue of involvement in the church, uh, it's easy enough to say, well, then you should not be involved in church. Uh, you know, if, if the church is giving you grief, then leave the church. And, um, you know, that is what we hear from many of the critics of the church, uh, some of whom happen to be psychologists. Uh, one very prominent critic of the church is a Ph.D. psychologist and, and likes to, uh, to use that as, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, tout those credentials as, uh, um, you know, we should, we should rely on, on him because he knows what he's talking about, um, when in fact... The psychological research broadly indicates that if people will be uh, religiously affiliated, religiously um, engaged, that it has very positive effects on your mental health and well-being. 
And so if uh, someone is concerned about someone's mental health and well-being, the answer would be to help encourage involvement in church and religion, not discourage it. Um, now, that's I, I, we're probably not uh, getting at the, the question you actually asked, so let me back up a bit. Um, so like I said, I've been really involved in uh, researching and, and um, exploring uh, issues with the church for a long time. Um, active, dedicated member uh, for many years. And so uh, it was uh, discouraging to me when some of my closest friends began leaving the church. And so this goes back uh, probably at least 30 years where uh, one of my best friends from childhood who'd been on a mission, who'd been married in the temple, uh, left the church. And uh, this, you know, threw me for a loop. I'm wondering how could this happen? This is, you know, uh, somebody who I, I always found very, to be very encouraging to me in my faith. Um, so it made me wonder what happened. Um, as the years passed, I had more experience with this, where I've even had uh, personal, uh, immediate family members, uh, in, in addition to personal friends leaving the church. And I began to notice something as I asked myself, why is this happening? And what are the common denominators? And in my personal experience, one of the things that I noticed most often was the people that I knew who were leaving the church were also being diagnosed with mental illness. Uh, often obsessive compulsive disorder. So you had these anxiety and uh, depression disorders that were correlating with leaving the church. And I wondered if there was some connection. Uh, I happened to hear somebody uh, mention at one point how uh, people with anxiety and depression process things differently uh, in terms of, you know, cognitive uh, perception. So uh, they look at things differently than than people who aren't experiencing mental distress, and it started started uh, my thought process in that regard. You know, I wondered could that have something to do with why people are leaving the church? Uh, because you know, like I said, I I've studied uh, church history, uh, church doctrine, these kinds of issues for for many years. I remember uh, I don't know how old I was, maybe twelve or thirteen, and I remember uh, you know my father mentioning things about uh, masons and the temple, uh, things about, um, you know, kind of crazy things that uh, Brigham Young or Joseph Smith have said that, uh, you know, the critics of the church try to attack us with, you know, people living on the moon or, uh, you know, just uh, kind of off the wall things. And so it really didn't bother me at all. I'd been exposed to these kinds of things that critics throw at us uh, from, a, from a fairly young age. And uh, so then as I got older and heard people talking about, well, you know, I had to leave the church because I heard X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, who in their right mind could stay after hearing that? Uh, it, it reminds me of the, uh, the picture that's used a lot of times, um, you know, in organizational behavior presentations with the, uh, the old woman or the young woman. It's, it's the same picture, but people will see an old woman or maybe look at the same picture and see a young woman. Um, and there are lots of different examples of this kind of, of exercise where two people can be looking at the exact same thing and see something different. 
And so the question is, why is it that some people who know all of these issues with the church choose to stay, while there are other people who encounter some of these issues and feel like they have no choice but to leave? You know, they talk about how, you know, I couldn't in good conscience leave. Well, you know, once I knew these things, how could I stay? And, and I still encounter people. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy I know it's on social media or, uh, you know, uh, message boards where, you know, somebody who has no idea who I am will assume that, uh, boy, if you just knew what I know, um, you know, and they may trot out the, the CES letter or something and say, boy, if you, if you just read this, um, you know, not knowing that not only have I read the CES letter, you know, I've, I've done a lot to respond to it. Um, you know, I, I mean, there's, there's very little uh, that, that surprises me anymore. Um, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll find something uh, in church history I wasn't aware of. Um, but, uh, you know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't have the same kind of effect on me that it has on on some of these people that uh, leave the church and say it's because of what they found. Now, having said that, I don't want to suggest that, you know, I've found, uh, you know, some silver bullet or, or some, you know, uh, uh, you know, the reason people leave. Um, one of the things I've found is that uh, the more and more I, I study this, the more I find that Everybody's story is unique, and uh, there are a variety of reasons that people leave the church, um, and, and there, there, there have been a number of studies on this. Um, you know, there, there have been, there's been a lot of talk about it, and, and, and then people talk themselves. Uh, you know, I've heard hundreds of stories about uh, why, you know, from individuals telling their own story, this is why I left. And, uh, so there are, well, and, and it's interesting too, because critics of the church will claim that there are only a narrow set of reasons for people to leave. Uh, what, what they get really upset about is when, uh, anybody suggests that, uh, that, that set of reasons doesn't have something to do with the church doing something wrong. Um, you know, so typically critics will claim that nobody leaves the church because they were offended or because they wanted to sin. Um, there are actually surveys that indicate that that is one reason that people leave is that they were offended or that they wanted to sin. Um, I mean, there, there are literally people who, who have said that uh, they uh, didn't like the lifestyle that the church was imposing on them and that they wanted to, to live in a different way that uh, was against church standards. And, and um, I mean, it's, it's a little hard to tell from some of the survey data, data exactly what they mean when they say that they left because of, you know, these reasons. But, um, but yeah, I mean, some people do leave. What, what, one example, I, I mean, I interviewed someone on one of our podcasts where he said that uh, he had gotten into trouble with a girl before his mission, he was ashamed about going in and, and talking to his uh, stake president about it and, um, you know, canceling the mission plans for a little while, or at least putting them on hold. And um, so instead, stop going to church. Um, you know, so yeah, that, that is a reason that people will leave. Um, but then as you, as you look across this broad spectrum, um, and you think about all of the different reasons that people have, um, one of the things that comes up often among the variety of reasons 
it's, it's not, it's usually not just one reason. It's usually, you know, there's usually a, a package of things and some of it's, uh, you have a kind of a social aspect of it. Uh, you might have a, um, you know, an individual aspect, but then also, uh, you know, there might be, um, different kinds of mental health aspects. And so this combination of things, um, will, will lead towards someone leaving the church. And I, I found that, uh, mental distress is commonly among the factors that will lead to someone leaving the church. Um, so it's, uh, it's very obvious in some cases. So for example, if, uh, you know, somebody's experiencing depression and they, uh, just can't feel it in them to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that happens when you're experiencing depression is you may want to spend a lot of time in bed. Um, well, if you're in bed, you know, until 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock or one o'clock in the day, and, and your church starts at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock in the morning, you're not going to be making it to church. And people may assume that the reason is, is that they've lost their faith or that they've been offended. Um, and they, they, they may, they may be correct. There may, there may be some aspect of that going on as well, uh, but they may be entirely incorrect. Um, so if somebody uh, experiences a social phobia um, or maybe um, stage fright, um, for example, which is, which is highly common. Um, they turn down an opportunity to speak in church or turn down a request to pray. Uh, and so we may assume from that, that this is a person who lacks faith. Uh, they, they, they aren't praying because they, they don't believe, or, you know, uh, they're, they're not speaking in church because they don't have a testimony. Um, or maybe they leave right after sacrament meeting. And we assume, you know, that, uh, well, they're lazy uh, or, or, that, or again, they lack faith. Uh, they're just here for, you know, maybe a social aspect of, of things, but they're not really committed to the church. When in fact, it may be that all they can muster, all the strength that they're able to gather um, is only enough to help them make it through one hour of church. And as they're sitting in this room filled with people, their social phobia is wearing down on them so much that after one hour in this room filled with people, they have to, they have to disengage. They have to go home because they just can't, uh, they can't stand it any longer because of the way the, 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 the mental distress is, is wearing them down. And so it's not that they uh, aren't committed to the church. It's that something else is going on that makes it very difficult for them to commit themselves to the church in the same way that somebody does who's not experiencing that kind of, of, of mental distress. Um, so there, there are some you know, really obvious reasons, obvious examples of how, how anxiety or depression can cause somebody to disengage. There are less obvious examples that relate directly to what the critics claim about how, you know, at some point of history or doctrine, um, you know, the, the, the translation of the Book of Abraham, translation of the Book of Mormon, polygamy, uh, the, the blacks in the priesthood, um, these kinds of issues um, will, will, our critics will say that, you know, in good conscience, they have to leave. 
um, you know, because, uh, how, you know, how could you be part of a church that uh, once denied the uh, priesthood to blacks? Or how could you be part of a church that says that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon by looking at a rock in a hat? Um, so the, the question is, is why does that bother them so much when it doesn't bother most of the rest of us? Um, or, or maybe if it bothers us, that it doesn't bother us so much that we feel like that we need to check out. So, so that's where it, you know, it becomes very interesting to me, looking at some of the psychological uh, literature, uh, because what you'll find is that mental illness is described as a, um, a problem of, of cognition or uh, you know, thought perception. So one of the things that, that, that talk therapy will help people with is identifying negative thought patterns, you know, kind of arresting them when they, when they arise and keeping them from spiraling out of control. So, uh, you know, we're all familiar with these, uh, you know, kind of positive affirmations, right? Um, you know, I'm good. Um, people like me. Um, you know, these, these are attempts to help people develop positive thought patterns, um, you know, what can happen with someone who's experiencing mental illness is that they'll have negative thought patterns that just spiral out of control. Um, I'm bad. People hate me. Um, and then they start looking for or they start seeing uh, things that confirm those those negative thought patterns. Um, so so these are um, in incorrect perceptions of reality. They're, they're seeing things that aren't there. Um, they're, they're, they're seeing things in a, in a warped way. They have a warped perception of, of, of reality. Um, and this, this can happen with, um, with, with church history and church doctrine. So, or, or, or social experiences in the church. So, um, you know, when we talk about people being offended, um, somebody may say something at church and that somebody who's experiencing an anxiety disorder may misinterpret they may um it, it may it may get out of control in their minds to the way that they feel like there's just no way i can go back there because of this thing that happened so uh what happens is that it's called maladaptive schemata schemata okay so in other words um you're looking at things in um a, a, a skewed way a way that's not healthy um it can distort the processes involved in perception and storage and retrieval of information so uh you it, it's very interesting to look at the psychological literature on this they do these tests you know where they'll have people maybe you're looking at different faces or you know different scenes if there isn't some ambiguity in it someone who's experiencing anxiety disorder will tend to uh, identify threatening information or tend to interpret an ambiguous situation as being threatening, they will tend to ruminate on it. In other words, they can't let go of it. They'll just keep thinking about it. Um, it, it can, it can, uh, they, they, they're hyperactive to any um, situations that are potentially harmful and they, and they tend to not respond to situations that are positive. So, you, for example, someone may feel like, uh, you know, I've been praying to know if the Book of Mormon is true, and I haven't felt what other people are experiencing or what people describe. Um, so, so God must not be there, um, you know, or 
uh, you know, they, they, they tend not to see the way that God is blessing their lives. They tend not to see the things that are um, evidences that the Book of Mormon is true. They, they may, well, if, if somebody is experiencing anxiety and depression, it may be very difficult for them to even feel the spirit. Um, so that's another serious issue where, um, you know, we talk about how important it is to feel that love, joy, peace, patience, um, gentleness, meekness. If somebody has this voice inside of them that's screaming at them all the time, you know, you're no good, uh, you're worthless, um, you don't deserve to live, uh, you know, those kinds of voices can very easily drown out the still small voice. And so it's very important to, to identify when that's happening. Uh, because if we can identify when somebody's experiencing mental distress, if we can find ways to help them to uh, overcome it and, you know, help them to identify that, you know, that's, that's not the voice of God. That's not a true voice. That's, that's, that's telling me lies. Uh, if we can help them sort those things out, the, the hope is that we can help them to identify when the still small voice is speaking to them. We can help them to identify when God is blessing them. Um, we can help them to sort out the, the social situations they may experience that are causing them anxiety and maybe causing them to not want to come to church. Uh, we can help them understand themselves better so that, uh, you know, when they, uh, they have this really strong aversion to speaking in church or praying in church or even being at church for very long, that they understand about themselves what's happening, that it's not that this is a bad place for them to be. Um, you know, it's uh, what, one of the examples I used in the, uh, in the Fair Mormon address was this woman who had a phobia of, of parking garages. And so she, she sometimes would walk for blocks to get to where she needed to go rather than parking in the parking garage, because she felt like that if she parked in the parking garage, something catastrophic was going to happen. The building might collapse on her. She might be attacked. Um, and, and so there were some, some really convenient things that the rest of us enjoy about using a parking garage that she couldn't, could, couldn't experience. And so a therapist helped her to overcome that phobia so that she's able to park in parking garages and able to experience that benefit that the rest of us just take for granted. Um, it's, it's very much like, it's, it kind of trivializes it, I suppose, but uh, somebody going to church and feeling like that, um, you know, this experience here is causing me distress, so I will leave. And once they do that, they, they leave behind all of these positive aspects of, um, of being religious. So there, there's a wide body of research that says that, that religious activity helps to uh, increase marital and family stability. There's less child delinquency in these families. There's less depression. There's less anxiety. There's less suicide. There's less substance abuse. Um, there, there, there was a, 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 a presentation by uh, Professor Mike Goodman at uh, Education Week this uh, last few weeks ago um, and there's an, an article in the church news about it, where he, he talks about the, um, uh, some of the research on, um, the, the, the positive aspects of religious engagement. 
And uh, one of the things that, um, you know, church critics will say is that, uh, you know, the church is driving people to suicide, especially uh, LGBTQ people. Um, so where, uh, you know, somebody is gay and they're a member of the church, uh, the critics will say, well, they have no option but to either leave the church or kill themselves. And so they need to, kill, they need to leave the church in order to help, you know, uh, protect themselves from self-harm. Um, it's, it's an absolute lie. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's said by critics largely because I, I, I suppose, you know, it's, there's, there's uh, something that would intuitively make sense about this. I mean, they, they would feel like, well, um, you know, if you have a, a church that uh, says that, uh, that the gay people are not going to be able to be married in the celestial kingdom, then, you know, obviously that's going to cause problems for them. What the research shows is that where people are members of the church and identify as LB or LGBTQIA, um, that they are uh, more likely to have uh, positive mental health, good, uh, healthy uh, uh, mentally than people who are not religious. Um, specifically dealing with gay people, there was um, uh, you know, a study indicating that 44% of Latter-day Saint uh, people who identify as gay uh, experience suicidal ideations compared to 47% of people who are in some other church compared to 77% of people who are not religious or, or atheist or agnostic. And so uh, there's, there's a, a robust uh, body of literature indicating that religious um, belief helps people uh, with their with their mental health. I, I, I happened to come across. Um, oh, let's see. It was uh, there was a PhD candidate in uh, Palo Alto University who contacted Fair while I was while I was there, and uh, you know wanted some help with some research that she was doing. She's not a member of the church. She was, I, I think, Catholic, as I recall. Um, but she was researching this issue of um, religiosity and mental illness. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and so I asked her, uh, you know, to get a copy of her dissertation when she finished it. Um, it was very interesting. Her name is Michelle Medeiros. And um, she found that where you had, she, she, she surveyed members of the church and found the more religious members of the church were more likely to report lower levels of obsessions and compulsions. She specifically was focusing on OCD um, and that less religious members of the church were more likely to report higher levels of OCD. Um, I, I thought this was so fascinating because of so many of the people that I knew that had OCD who left the church. Um, and so there's been more and more research on this. Daniel Judd, um, Brad Wilcox, uh, you know, a number of other people have been looking at these ideas of um, perfectionism and um, uh, toxic perfectionism. Uh, you know, so, uh, the, the idea that um, uh, if I, you know, I can't do everything perfectly, I, you know, and then I'm, I'm worthless, um, I can't do anything at all. Um, where, where people have a positive uh, view of uh, their heavenly father, uh, Michelle Medeiros found that 
they were less likely to be experiencing OCD. Um, you know, and so uh, there are just, you know, so many different ways in which these, uh, uh, th- this data just started to come together where, you know, I found that uh, I-, I think it would be very helpful for, for individual members of the church, but also church leaders to be able to recognize when this is happening so that, you know, if you have a family member or you have somebody that you're ministering to, or if you're a church leader, you have someone in your congregation um, and, and you can identify these issues and maybe help other people in the congregation recognize what's going on. Uh, there would be less ostracism, you know, less, uh, of, and, you know, we, we would tend to, you know, withdraw ourselves when we're not understanding what's happening. But if we, if we do understand and we can be, uh, more, I guess, forgiving of ourselves, you know, where we understand that, uh, you know, the, the reason that, I, I, I just can't speak in church or I can't pray in church um, is not because I'm a bad person. It's because of this mental illness that I'm de- dealing with. Uh, I think that we're going to be more likely to, uh, to be successful in ministering to people, to, to you know, help bearing their burdens and, and lifting the, the load that they, they feel. You know, Elder Holland, um, we, we quoted, quoted this in our, in our talk, and I've got this quote in front of me. Uh, he said, if things continue to be debilitating, seek the advice of reputable people with certified training, professional skills, and good values. Be honest with them about your history and your struggles. Prayerfully and responsibly consider the counsel they give and the solutions they prescribe. If you had appendicitis, God would expect you to seek a priesthood blessing or, uh, and get the best medical care available. So, too, with emotional disorders. Our Father in Heaven expects us to use all of the marvelous gifts he's provided in this glorious dispensation. And so that's, that's kind of the point. That's, that's kind of what I was, you know, me and Garrett Giles were, were hoping, to, um, hoping to accomplish is to help people recognize that mental distress can play a part in disaffection from the church and further recognize that there are things that can be done to help um, to address the mental distress that people are experiencing. I love that. And I think in particular, I think you kind of address this a little bit, but just the idea of like how church leaders can help these kind of individuals. Um, In your talk, you gave the example of Steve Young. And that was really interesting because I think there's there's this general view that he didn't go on a mission because he was going to be this, amazing football player and he's going to like make a difference that way but do you want to maybe share a little bit about steve young's story and why he actually didn't serve a mission yeah you know it's it's really fascinating because you know we think about steve young as being one of the greatest nfl football quarterbacks of all time and while he was starting out at byu not only was he not considered a great quarterback uh lavelle edwards was thinking of changing him to defense uh, I th- think he was eighth string quarterback at the time. And um, he just felt like his football career was not going anywhere and it was time for him to put his mission papers in. And so he was thinking, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, go on a mission and, you know, maybe reassess this football thing later. Um, he started to get really anxious uh, about the idea of going on a mission as he thought more about it. And in fact, uh, 
just living away from home his freshman year at BYU was just excruciatingly painful for him (laughs) when uh, you know he spent he, he was from Connecticut and uh, so he's got that that first semester under his belt, and he's going home and thinking that uh, you know, okay, I'll I'll put my mission papers in. Uh, but it was just so hard for him to consider uh, being away from home for two years after having been at BYU for a few months. Uh, he he wasn't really sure, you know, how, how to sort that out. Um, so he goes to his bishop, and you know, this is this is part of a story I love is that. His bishop, you know, Steve Young sits down with him and, you know, is talking with him about uh, going on a mission. But he says, I, I just don't think I can do it. And his bishop told him that he had an impression a couple of weeks earlier that Steve was going to come and visit with him and tell him that he planned to return to school rather than going on a mission. And the bishop said that, he says, Steve, I had a clear impression that I should tell you that it's okay that you should go back to BYU rather than going on a mission and that you should focus on serving Jesus Christ, living your religion and being a great example. And so that's what he did. And of course he, he has been a great example. And uh, of course he went on to be a very successful football player, but uh, it was, it was really interesting too, to think about that. This is, he, he tells his own story um, I'm trying to remember, uh, I think it's in his autobiography, but the, where I saw it was in a, uh, might've been an LDS living article if people want to go find that. But, um, uh, he talks about how years later, it wasn't until he was 32 when he was actually diagnosed with a separation anxiety. So he had no idea what was causing this, this panic that he had about, about leaving. Um, I remember hearing about how when Steve Young was on the road with the 49ers uh, that he would spend his time sitting in his hotel room, watching his favorite movie, city slickers. And that uh, it, it was, it was distressing to him to, you know, kind of leave the hotel room and, you know, everybody else is going out on the town and seeing things. And uh, you know, they, they always kept him, with I can't remember who his roommate was, but uh, they'd keep him with one guy uh, all the time because this guy knew that Steve just didn't like to go out and just you know wanted to sit there and you know watch these movies while while they're waiting to to play the game. Um, so there were these things that happened that helped him to cope. Um, you know he would he would uh, you know uh, have these routines and rituals you know things that would help him to uh, to not become overcome with with panic. Um, but he didn't recognize, he he didn't realize what was going on. Um, and fortunately he had a Bishop who was open to this unusual revelation that it was okay for him not to go on a mission. You remember, you know, at the time, uh, there was, boy, I'm trying to remember, I think it probably was Spencer W. Kimball, who was uh, president of the church at the time, uh, who was saying every member of missionary and, and that, you know, everybody should, you know, we got to take the gospel to all the world and, and every young man should serve a mission. So um, we, we have, I think, done a lot in the church to help, uh, to help young men and women who are experiencing mental distress uh, that wasn't, you know, that we weren't doing back in the time of Steve Young. Um, So now 
we, we make accommodations for young men and women who want to serve, who maybe find it difficult or impossible to, um, you know, to serve in the way that, that most people do. So uh, if you were experiencing separation anxiety, for example, and you just couldn't leave the country or leave the state, uh, there are many opportunities for young men and young women to serve in the church, to serve honorable missions um, by serving locally. And so I think the church is doing so much more now where they're, they're recognizing that these issues exist and finding ways to help um, accommodate people. Now, I don't think that uh, the best thing to do would, would be to simply, um, uh, what, what, what we, don't, we don't want, we, we need to treat, this, treat the, the illness. Uh, we, we don't simply accommodate uh, we don't simply enable people, you know, in, in these kinds of conditions because they're not healthy. Um, we should try to find ways to, uh, to cure mental illness. Uh, so in addition to seeking, you know, ways to make people feel more comfortable, uh, we also ought to be finding ways to uh, help people to overcome these, these issues. So, and there, there are so many different ways that that, that can be done. Garrett Giles in his uh, part of the address uh, talks about a lot of the different things that can be done to help um, people who are experiencing mental distress. One of them is, uh, you know, helping the individual understand the role they can play in helping to alleviate emotional distress. Uh, so um, eating healthy food, um, getting enough rest, uh, exercising, um, participating in social activities and developing social connections. Uh, these are all things that can help people to develop good mental health. Um, ex expressing gratitude, expressing, um, uh, you know, generosity, um, serving other people. All of these things can help people's uh, mental health. But then family and friends, can also participate in this to help people to um, to, to improve their, their mental health. Um, and then church leaders can also help. Uh, and, and, and then, of course, the, the church can help identify, you know, mental health therapists that can meet with people that, um, you know, can, can, can help the individual to develop positive thinking patterns, positive um, social patterns. And, you know, uh, and maybe there's going to be a, uh, maybe be necessary to, to use medication uh, in addition to talk therapy. Um, but, you know, a professional can help people to identify uh, what's going to work and what's not. And I should say that, you know, if, if somebody is referred to a mental health professional by their bishop, um, they don't need to feel like they got to stick with that one person. Um, you know, if, if it's not working for you, you know, find somebody else that you, you connect with. Um, and, and, and the bishop can work with you on that as well, you know, and finding somebody else. But um, the church, I, I should say too, Garrett Giles uh, is somebody that came to my attention through the, um, oh, what is it called? There's, there's a regular, um, uh, kind of lecture series or, you know, seminar for church leaders, uh, family and uh, social services for the church holds. And um, so he was giving a lecture to our area, um, Northern Utah County, 
um, where he talked about this and talked about uh, a lot of the things that um, that the church, a lot of the resources the church is providing. And I thought, you know, he'd be a really great person to, uh, to, to work with me on developing this paper. Um, so, so he outlines a lot of those different resources that are available. And, and if somebody is experiencing these kinds of issues, uh, I would encourage them to talk with their bishop and find, uh, you know, some, some resources that can help them to um, address these issues. Or if you have a family member or somebody you're ministering to or a friend, um, it, I think it's, I, I think it'd be important to identify early these kinds of issues and to start working on as soon as you can. Yeah, I love this. I think this is just, it's an aspect of things that we don't talk about enough because I think, yeah, there's lots of people that, yeah, like you mentioned, maybe they, they feel like they're not, they feel like they're not getting answers to their prayers, but it's because they have depression or maybe it's, they have scrupulosity and scrupulosity makes it. So just sitting in church can be so hard when they're being told all these things that they need to do. So I think this is lots of just really relevant information. Um, and I'll be, I'll be posting a link to the talk that they gave. Um, I definitely recommend that our viewers go over that. Um, I have a few questions I want to ask you before we close, but is there anything else about this topic that you want to discuss or go over? And, and so what can happen is we can, we, somebody who's experiencing uh, mental distress can, uh, well, they, they will uh, identify something that's maybe ambiguous as threatening. They will uh, ruminate on it. It's something they can't let go of. Um, you know, it will become something that uh, becomes overwhelming. So one, one of the examples that people always use is putting things on the shelf, right? So uh, if something's bothering you, you say, oh, I'll put it on the shelf and, and, and you'll, you'll find with time that uh, it will make more sense to you or you'll, you'll find a way that uh, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll understand. Somebody who's experiencing mental distress may find it impossible to just put things on the shelf the way the rest of us do. Because it's, it's as if the shelf, you know, maybe for most of us, this shelf is sitting in a back room somewhere and we can kind of close the door and forget about it. Uh, somebody who's experiencing mental distress has that shelf sitting in the middle of their room, you know, in, uh, in their houses. They, they see it all the time. And uh, more and more things pile up on that shelf and they can't forget about it. Um, and they talk about how their shelf broke at some point. Okay, well, you know, what they're saying is that this just became overwhelming to them because they couldn't let go of things the way that the rest of us can. Um, so, uh, so again, it's, it's, a, it's a problem of, of perception where, where there's a, a distorted thinking process where they're identifying something as threatening that is not necessarily threatening. It's not necessarily something we need to worry about right now, but they will uh, hyper-focus on it and can't let go of it. And uh, so when that happens, uh, it, 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 well, people with anxiety are drawn to threatening information. So not only do they identify ambiguous situations as threatening, they, they tend to 
uh, if you if you you know some of these some of these tests where they'll they'll have you know a number of different things that maybe somebody will look at somebody who is experiencing anxiety and depression will focus on the thing that is threatening uh, or you know interpret something that's threatening when it, when it's not necessarily threatening um, and then they will they, they can't let it go they'll focus on it they'll ruminate on it and then they'll expect they'll catastrophize is, is the term for it. They'll expect the worst. They'll expect that this is just going to be uh, the worst case scenario. Um, now, those are all um, problems of perception. And, you know, they're going to be critics of the church that may hear this, that'll say, oh, you just don't understand, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's hard because when you're, when you're talking to somebody who is in this state, it doesn't really help to say, you know, we'll just get over it, you know, just, just stop it. Stop, you know, stop thinking that way. Um, that's, that's where you need to help them uh, to, to find professional help uh, so that someone, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they're not personally attached to can, can help them to identify these negative thought patterns that, and it's not just going to be with the church. If somebody leaves the church because they're, so distressed, the OCD or the scrupulosity, uh, you know, anxiety disorder, don't just go away. There are going to be other ways that their depression and anxiety will manifest, um, you know, and so they need to deal with the mental illness uh, and not just remove this, uh, you know, the, the stimuli that's causing the distress, uh, you know, so anyway, uh, that, those are, those are some of the thoughts that, uh, that I've had that, uh, hopefully, uh, that, that's making sense to people. I, I encourage them not only, uh, to look at the, uh, you can look at the, the, the address on YouTube, but, but also, uh, we published the address in the Interpreter Foundation's journal, and uh, so in that address, we've got lots of footnotes with um, more information in the footnotes, but also, um, you know, the uh, articles, um, journal articles, uh, other, uh, you know, Melissa Medeiros' PhD dissertation. People can go to find more information about this concept. Um, and that's in uh, the Interpreter's Journal. It's an interpreterfoundation.org. It's volume 31. Um, it's in 2019. Uh, so if people want more information about that, they can, they can find it there. That sounds great. And we'll make sure to put a, a link to that in our description as well for this episode. Um, really great insights. I definitely think what you said about the difficulties of putting things on a shelf when you have anxiety, I think that's super relevant. And I think a lot of our people have probably ran, have probably ran into things like the CES letter. And I think that's why that can be so damaging to people is you have this gigantic shelf just placed right in front of you. And if you have anxiety, it's really, really hard to kind of to go on with life. Um, so I think that's really relevant. Um, the next thing I want to just ask you about is if you have just maybe a few just words of advice for anyone that is currently going through a faith crisis right now. Well, so like I said, there are all kinds of different experiences people have it's it's so hard to say generally um you know what it is that uh you know everybody should do but i believe that the most important thing generally that people can do 
is seek out experiences with the spirit, uh, find ways to experience that, that, you know, the, the, the love of God, uh, find, you know, look, look for ways that God is blessing you. Um, if you will spend some time to think about all you have to be grateful for, that's something that can bring the spirit into your life. Um, so people, people who, like I said, you know, you, you find something that is, uh, upsetting. Um, one of the first things that people will do is push further into it. Um, start to study that more and, um, and kind of get caught up in it. And, and unfortunately they'll still tend to get caught up in, uh, some of the critical sources and they feel kind of a kinship, you know, feel like that they've got a community that understands them. Um, you know, and so they'll be expressing their doubts with the doubters, uh, rather than expressing what they know to be true with the faithful. Um, you know, these, these work the same way. It's like um, Alma's garden, where you've got the seeds, and you're planting seeds, and you're cultivating them, and then you're nourishing them. If you're going to cultivate and nourish bad seeds, you're going to get bad fruit. And so what I would tell people is, nourish and cultivate the good seeds, you know, find the things that are, um, you know, prayer, church attendance, um, good, you know, uplifting music, um, uh, bearing testimony, um, participating in church ordinances. So, um, you know, asking for blessing or attending the temple, all of these kinds of things help us to have experiences with the spirit um, and then avoiding those things that are nourishing the bad seeds. Um, and another, another analogy that I think is helpful, you know, I've, I've uh, had a friend who he was reading the doctrinal history of the church um, by Joseph Smith and started to come across some of these troubling, you know, historical issues. And, you know, as he, kept on reading he 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 said that he had this experience i mean the way he described it, it's almost like this vision where he says he saw himself on the, the branch of a tree and that he he was out further and further on the edge of this branch and he had the impression that he needed to get back to the trunk you know he needed to not be you know way out on this limb because it was going to be dangerous and that he was going to fall and so he moved back to that, to that trunk by returning to those things that were nourishing his testimony. You know, it might be at some point you put the history of the church down and, and you start focusing in on those things that, are, uh, that you find edifying. And, you know, at some point, maybe you come back, uh, you know, studying, studying the history again. Um, I guess one of the things I've said to people who are involved in apologetics is you need to give God equal time. So, uh, you know, you, some people wonder, you know, how is it you can uh, you can study what it is the critics are saying and maintain your testimony? Um, you know, for me personally, I need to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do to keep the spirit in my life, you know, regular scripture study. And, you know, all those things that I talked about prayer, church attendance, temple attendance. Um, and that if you let those things go, that uh, the, the spirit will leave you as well. And then you'll be left vulnerable to attacks. 
And, you know, so I, I, I think that those are some general things that I, I hope people would find helpful. Yeah, I, I echo what you've said. I think we're to like seek for answers. I think, and I think like the words faith and reason are both important. And I think like through like with the faith aspect, as you're keeping your covenants, as you're giving the Lord equal time, as you're reading your scriptures, as you're praying, all those things. I think as you do that, and then you also have the rational side, we're going to be able to find answers. But if we just have the rational side, we're, we're not using all of our tools to find truth. Um, so I, I just love what you said right there. Um, I want to close by just asking, what does the gospel of Jesus Christ mean to you? Well, t- to me, it is a central organizing principle that, that guides me in everything I do. Um, you know, I've talked about trying to bring the spirit into your life and, you know, there have been times in my life where I have felt the spirit leave and, you know, it's been, uh, well, that's been distressing to me. Um, you know, I've wanted to do whatever I can to get it back in my life. Um, you know, ironically, one of those times for me was, uh, I've got a friend who's a stake president at the the time he was a bishop. And, you know, he happened, we, we talk about, you know, church issues all the time. He happened to send me a questionnaire on, uh, uh, it was, it was from an atheist website, you know, asking about how rational your beliefs in God are, uh, which is, you know, it's an interesting, uh, interesting question. So I, I, you know, going through this survey, um, my, my, my beliefs in God turned out to be highly rational as it turns out, but, uh, but, but in that process, I felt the spirit leave me and, um, it was, it was the strangest thing. I wasn't doing anything that I could, I could say was wrong. I, you know, there, there was nothing, uh, there was nothing there on the temple recommend questions about, you know, taking surveys from atheists. Um, but you know, it took me a number of weeks before I felt the uh, the influence of the spirit back in my life it was the strangest thing so i can sympathize with people who say you know i came across this information and it you know rocked my world it you know blew my mind I, you know and i just I, I, how could this be true now i suspect that if at the time i i was experiencing other things in my life such as um you know anguish over um you know, some issue, you know, gay rights, um, uh, women's treatment in the church, blacks treatment in the church. So, so some of those issues that people are concerned about, um, or maybe somebody had offended me at church, or maybe I'm struggling with some kind of addiction. You know, if there were those kinds of things going on at that time in my life, it may have been very difficult for me to, uh, to get the spirit back into my life. But at the time, um, what I did, it was like what, what God tells Oliver Cowdery, you know, cast your mind back to that time when I first spoke peace to you. And, you know, what greater witness can you have than from God? Um, I remembered what it was like to have that influence in my life and I wanted to get it back. And so I kept doing those things that I knew would bring the spirit back into my life. Um, boy, I might even have been the elders quorum president at the time. So, you know, I, I, it was engaged in church activity, praying, um, reading the scriptures, you know, doing all those things. And it came back. Um, 
I've never experienced a loss of spirit since that time, like I had then. It uh, it was it was a it was it was about like I mean it reminds me of you know Jesus on the cross saying, "My God, why hast thou forsaken me?" And you know we wonder you know how is it that this happens to Jesus on the cross, and you know why why would that happen to him? And I suspect it you know it was an experience he had to have that he probably hadn't had up to that time in his life, and Jesus descended below all things including the loss of the companionship of God. And uh, it helped him to understand us better, uh, I think, by virtue of having that experience and trotting the wine press alone. Um, and so uh, I have always felt a, a, a yearning, a, a need for the companionship of the Spirit in my life and for God. And so that's really um, the thing that motivates me in my activity in the church is that this is what brings me closer to God and, you know, church, church service and church doctrine and, um, you know, the things that we do at church and the things we learn, um, they're things that for me, I would never want to do without. Thanks for sharing those thoughts. I definitely needed to hear that. And I think I got a lot out of that. So thanks for sharing, Steve. Um, Thanks for being on. Um, this has been the To Whom Shall We Go podcast. We'll Thanks, see. You, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Steve.